Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Calcio's Pantheon. I'm Danielle, and as always, I am joined by Elliot. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. How's it going? Oh, things are going well. Um, so where would you like to start off this wonderful podcast episode? Your call. I'm good with whatever. Okay. I mean, I guess we'll just start off with the major news that happened today. Um we, as we all know, they have just completed the not group stages of the Europa and the Champions League, and today was the draw for the knockouts. So let's like jump right into like who got who and what to possibly expect from these matchups. So yeah, but but not only Italy because we're gonna do the whole thing tomorrow with Ryan. Yeah, I know. Okay, so, just making sure. So first we have Roma who won the group of Group B and currently they right now they're in sixth place in Serie A and you guys are taking on Sporting Braga who was second in Group G and is currently fourth in the Portugal League. So what are your thoughts and reactions? Well, fun story about this this match in particular. I mean, Roma should win this easily, but that's not that's not why it's intriguing. It's because there's matchups that are going to be one sided that aren't intriguing. But this this is definitely an intriguing matchup because Paulo Fonseca was the coach of Braga um, before he was at Shakhtar, and he actually won the Portuguese Cup, uh, beating Porto on a penalty shootout back in I think uh, I don't know the year, but but in the last five six years, something like that. Uh, it was his, I think it was his last season before he went to um, to Shakhtar and then obviously to Roma. Um, so getting that reunion um, should be interesting. Um, I'm actually curious of what how Roma are going to play this thing because I actually think that Roma can win over the two legs without playing Jacko and Pellegrini and and you know the main the main shooters. Um, so they might not, but I'm I'm curious. But then they might if they. Um, if they play Roma's full strength team in the Europa League knockout stage in February, um, Roma should should win this easily. It shouldn't it shouldn't be difficult at all. Um, Roma could play their back their backups and still get the result over the two legs. Um, but uh, again, it's it's going to be a cakewalk. But the the only interesting part of this whole thing is just because Paulo Fonseca used to coach in Braga, uh, Paulo Fonseca is Portuguese, so that whole reunion will be interesting. But again. Roma got – I wouldn't say it's the easiest draw because we have to give Braga respect. They are a team that, that can all, often fly under the radar and do some, do some big stuff. Um, but, but based on the teams that are, that are going to be thrown out there, uh, Braga is going to be massive underdogs. Um, as, as we discussed before, Roma are one of the favorites um, to sort of uh, win the whole thing. They're Ryan's pick to win it. So um, Roma should find little to no difficulty against Braga. But, again, it'll be interesting because getting this chance to see Fonseca against his former team. Um, so what do you think Sporting Braga will have to do in order to, like, possibly make a statement in this, like, matchup? Um, I don't know. I, I would say the fans, but I don't know if we're going to have fans in February. So, um, so I don't think home or away is, has that much significance. Um. 
if it's going to be it's going to be really hard against this Roman team. But if Braga can get a early goal, uh, whether it's a penalty like you know, because young boys when we played them in the the group stage, they they were up, they they were in front twice, and we we beat them both times. But yeah, but they got they got some some early goals. Um, uh, so so I think. For Braga, their main point here is just trying to get a goal early in one of these matches and trying to hold it off. So I mean defending like like hell. Um, I'm guessing they'll play with five, five of the back um, and try to hit you hit us with a, like a penalty call, uh, maybe on a counter or something like that. Maybe that that because remember remember the the uh, young boys game from last uh, from last time um, that Romo dominated the whole thing and then. You know, they hit Roma with one chance and scored. Um, they need something like that. And then they'll just have to hold on for dear life. And then the second leg, it, it would just be ultra defensive. But can Braga keep Roma unscathed for 90 minutes? I personally don't think so. Um, and they can't, they can't go, you know, match for match with Roma in terms of what they can do going forward. So it's going to have to be a defensive uh, sort of strategy um, and then trying to get an early goal. But again it is going to be immensely difficult for them to keep Roma, you know, off the score sheet, regardless of what team they play. Uh, Bojan Moriel has, I think, four goals in the Europa League this season. Um, and then, but then if you play the starters, you're going to have a huge problem trying to contend with, with the, with the attack. So again, just defend, defend well, try to get an early goal and just, just, you know, hope <laughs> that's really all I can say in terms of that but you know I wish them well good luck and uh we'll see what happens I mean Roma like you just said should win this they are very strong you guys have all the necessary pieces you got um Jocko you got Mkhitaryan who has been like I think one of your breakout stars of the whole entire I season think, uh, this is, might be a hot take but Marcus actually said this on Twitter uh, yesterday I think he's had a better season than Ronaldo and Ronaldo if you just you know we don't have to talk about the penalty thing but but yeah he's been excellent and he's got I think I think there's one going to the Europa League but the scary thing about Roma is they can just play their stars and crush them like literally they could go through in the first leg and they could um they could play their full strength team. They could win four and L, and then for the second leg, they'll just play their second team and get to, get to the end. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, you already have all those quality pieces, and I think for Sporting Braga, it's just going to come down to being able to get a a couple goals early on in the first um, match, and then hold on for dear life because it's going to be hard for them to keep up with your guys' pace and like your style of play. Um, and the Let's not let's not dismiss the fact that Roma has one of the best defensive options. If everyone's healthy, Roma's defense shouldn't should be a real problem for everyone too, because you have the the main ones, and then you have the Smalling and Kambula that can be played there. There's Cristante, and then obviously the main ones with Abanias and uh, Mancini. So I mean, even again, it's going to have to be one of those situations where let's get an early goal and let's just hold on for dear life. Get just get like I think their mentality has to be. Let's just get to the second leg with 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 uh, a, a close a goal uh, sort of difference. If, if they go down two, if they lose two one or one nail or something like that, um, then they maybe have a shot. Again, I don't really think they have a shot. But for their point of view, it's just about trying to control their scoreline and not don't let it get out of hand quickly because they can't go into the second leg down by more than a goal. You can't let Roma have a three-goal lead going into the second leg because it's already over. And 
based on how they played this weekend, I mean, I'm sure that's sort of an outlier, but it's just going to be difficult to do that. Right. So, as you just said, Roma should have no problem with them, although that it's going to be interesting with the Fonseca going back to the club he came from just to see how what happens during that. That's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, agreed. So, up next, we have Napoli, who was on top of Group F and is currently sitting in third in Serie A. They're taking on Granada, who um, was second place in Group E and is currently sitting in seventh place in La Liga. Uh, so, what are your thoughts and takes on this one? Uh, Granada is, is a team that can, can give Napoli some problems, especially – if they don't, again, it's going to be the same with everything. We don't know what kind of team that they're going to come out with um, because of their focusing in, in Syria. They could just play the kids. They could do kind of play with the, the team that they use with, you know, the likes of Politano and Bakioko and others, um, and then keep the, the big swingers for, um, you know, uh, wh- what's coming forward. So, uh, but Granada is a good enough team to, to do it. La Liga is not particularly strong this year. Um, but I think they have enough, and this will not be a game that, I, in my opinion, I think this will be decided over two legs. It won't be one of those games where Napoli is just going to blow them out and it's going to be over with. So uh, they should win it, and I think comfortably. But I think it will take them into a second leg with with the match very much still in balance. Uh, t- you just never know with these Spanish sides. They always seem, seem to do well in these competitions. Um, they're not Sevilla, but uh, – we saw Getafe last year play so well in the Europa League. Um, we could see them doing something very similar with uh, with Granada trying to get something over them. But again, Napoli, they have too many good players you know, to lose this. But I don't think it's out of the question because, again, Granada is, is a decent team that can be tricky if they allow it. Right. And that's a, good, a question to bring up. You say um, La Liga hasn't been as competitive this year. Um, why do you think that is? Uh, it's just it's, – it's all of this. It's, it's Ronaldo not being there anymore. It's the type of players that are now coming to England and Italy and, and Germany. And, uh, and then you look at uh, Messi – Still, still the second best player in the world, but not what he was before. So it's just, it's just a little dip in terms of the types of teams, and they're not doing as well in Europe. You, I don't want to bring up old scars, but you were in a group with Real Madrid, and they ended up winning that group, but they were not good for the majority of the group stage. They beat by Shakhtar twice, and that's supposed to be one of your big teams. Um, Atletico Madrid uh, just lost Real over the weekend, but uh, or last weekend, but. But still, there's just uh, – just, it's just not the same. It's just one of those things where a, a certain league can, can reign supreme for a long time, and then it can start to dip. Um, and we, we kind of see with the Premier League basically going from one to, to three or four. Um, and then, I don't know. But, again, uh, Spanish sides are not to be messed with in European competitions. They were – there was a streak of years where Spanish sides went, you know, basically – I think it was a three straight years they won both European competitions. So, again, that's Sevilla and Real Madrid and Barcelona. But, like, at the same time, you, you don't want to mess with them because um, obviously Inter played Getafe last year, and we talked about that after that game. They hit the bar twice in that game that you beat them under both legs. If both legs were played, I think that match would have actually been a lot closer than it ended up being. 
Um, and again, teams like that. And I'm not, I, I think Gattafi is a better team than Granada, but Granada is is doing very well in in, in La Liga. And uh, again, La Liga is not the strongest league anymore, but but uh, they got they have the potential to upset Napoli. I just I don't think they'll do it. I won't pick them. But if they end up beating Napoli, I wouldn't be surprised. But again, I, I'm I'm riding with the, the boys from Naples. Yeah, it's so this one is going to be one of those matches that is going to be pretty much close. It depends on who, wh- what team they play and how they show up. Um, yeah, I, I I think I think it will look. It doesn't look like it will be close on paper. But again, you just don't mess with Spanish sides in European competitions, even the lesser ones. And I think I, I just feel like they're going to make it more difficult than necessary because we saw not Napoli struggle against AZ and, and teams like that in their group. So um, I think they I, I just I just reckon they got it. Nada has a chance. I just but again, I think we both are in agreement that they won't end up winning it. Or winning this this tie, but it's possible. That's all I'm saying. Right, I'm just leaving the door to happen. Um. Then up next, we got a, a um formerly no. I guess Servina is formerly known as Red Star Belgrade, right? But yeah, Red Star Belgrade. Yeah. So we have uh, Red Star Belgrade versus Milan, who was a top of uh the group. H and currently they're in the top of Syria right now while Red Star Belgrade um, ended second in Group L while they're first in the Serbian League. So, like, I'm gonna if I think this is gonna be a tough one for Milan, but I still think Milan will win just because Red Star Belgrade has had success in the past in some of these European competitions, and mm-hmm. I think. In order for that, I think it will be imperative if Milan. Will, I don't know how Milan is going to like play this, but I just think that they may need to at least play Zlatan at least one of the matches just to like kind of help things a little bit. Well, yeah, it's different from Napoli and Roma. Milan are—they're not playing every starter, but they are—they're having several starters play consistently in the Europa League. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's there. He played. He played 65 minutes against uh, Celtic uh, two days before, three days before playing a big match in Serie A. So I think that he's definitely going to play some of these games for sure. Yeah, so it'll just be like making sure that they keep those starters rotated and fresh. Um, I mean, but across two legs, I think Milan will win it, but you can't sleep on Red Star Belgrade because especially with the success they've had in this competition, in the comp- European competitions in general. So, mm-hmm. like, what are your thoughts and opinions on this? So, to me, it depends on what where we are with this pandemic in February. If Milan, if Milan and Belgrade are allowed to have fans in their stands, this tie becomes instantly more problematic for AC Milan. If Red Star Belgrade are allowed to have fans in the stands, look, if, if they... I, again, I don't. I'm, I'm just kind of projecting. But if if they're allowed to have fans in the stands and Red, I don't know the order. But if if Red Star has the first home game, they'll beat Milan, and it'll give them a decent chance to beat them at the San Siro. Teams don't go there and 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 win with with the fan environment. 
with the environment period actually because now that I think of it, they might be lighting stuff off off outside the stadium. You know what I mean? Um, but you look at you look at all this and then you see like I don't know, man. It, it's it's hard to to say because Red Star may not have the qualities, but they've beaten Liverpool before at at home. So I, I think this is a coin flip because Milan is probably going to focus on the league. Um, but again, I don't think they want to go out at that point. And um, but again, Red Star, Red Star is a crazy place to play with or without fans. So I'm going to say that this tie is going to come down to the second leg. And I'm, I think that's going to come down late in the second leg. Because um, you look what they did against Rio Ave, where it, it, you know, and some of the other teams that they played in the qualifying stages. Um, but Milan should win this. But again, Red Star is such a dangerous place to play just as a human being. So, I mean, it's, it's just going to be difficult. But again, I'm going to give Milan the advantage just because uh, – I think they can, I think they have what it takes, and, and again, I hope all these teams in Italy do well in this competition outside of the one that we share a stadium with. But you get what I'm saying, right? And um, yeah, you definitely when it comes to like the fans, like you see like the intensity going into um, Belgrade because if anybody has watched the movie um, United, you could tell there was just it's just the atmosphere was something different. Um, even though you never got to see like any fans in the stadiums during the movie, but you could tell when they were like yeah, showing or, up. Or if, yeah, or if you've seen any of the Derby Day documentaries that Copa Ninety does, it's like, look, we're we're not in a place where we have flares just launched off in the middle of stadium matches. There will be flares launched from somewhere, whether there's fans in the stands or not. It's just going to happen because that's the way those people are. And they're toxic. They're, it's probably one of the – it's probably the most difficult place to play as a, as a footballer. Um, so, again, it's going to be difficult regardless. Even if the fans can't be in the stands, there will be somebody in the, in the outside of the stadium doing something to make things uncomfortable, if that means banging on drums at their hotel room or lighting flare-offs out their window or lighting flare-offs out the stadium. There's, it's just not going to be easy regardless. Right. Okay. Now we're moving on to the Champions League. Inter are taking on the couch. <laughs> I, had, I had to do that. I had to break my own heart there a little bit, but it was funny. But anyway, um, well. No, no, you're right. You know who you're They're playing Manchester United. <laughs> I saw that meme. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, first. One of the first matches we're going to address is Juventus, who was who was the top of Group G, and is currently sitting in fourth in Serie A against Porto, who was was came in second in Group C, and overall is currently sitting in third in the Portugal League. Like, what's your thoughts on this one? I'm going to shock you. I think Porto are going through. I think they beat Juventus. Uh, Porto has enough weapons to deal with Man City. If they can deal with Man City, they can deal with Juventus. Man City are better in every position. There's not one position in which, you know, a Man City, I know Man City's not doing one in the league, but you, you get what I'm saying. They're just loaded. And Porto was able to, I think one of the games ended up being, being a draw against Porto. Either way, uh, they, they were close to Man City in, in some of these games. Um, 
again, Porto, uh, do I think they're going to go deep and they're going to be amazing? No, but, but they have enough quality players to get the job done. And they have a good coach. They have, they have weapons. They don't have Ronaldo. Ronaldo will get a penalty. You know, it's inevitable. Um, but I feel like this, this is what I feel is going to happen. Porto and Juventus will be – I think it's going to be a tie in, over the two legs. But I think Port, Porto will go um, – they'll go through on away goals. Um, they just have enough to do it. And Juventus is not a particularly strong side. I'm guessing they'll underestimate them like they underestimated Ajax. And there's probably people running around and circulating. Uh, the fact that they're they got an easy quote unquote easy matchup. Um, it's ain't Liverpool. It's if this is a Liverpool match, you know Porto is just going to shrink. But Juventus is a team that has proven that has you know you can, that has cracks in the foundation and you can beat them. And I think Porto will go through. But again, if Dybala can get going and others, and if they can get they can get some momentum, then then maybe Juventus can go through. But Again, in this situation, I think I'm going to back Porto. But, again, it's it's hard to say, but I think it will be close regardless. But I think the away goal will be huge in somebody's favor, and I'm going to, I'm guessing, I'm just projecting, that Porto will do enough to get through. I mean, this is one of those matches that I actually will agree, but I think Porto will do it just based on the – it will be tied, but, of course – Porto would win out away goals. And just so you know, I'm still confused about the whole away goal thing, but that's okay. Um, Do you want me to explain to you really quickly? Can you ex- like explain it really quick? All right. So, uh, would you do you want me to just explain the concept, or do you want me to give you a real example to give you some context? Um, I would like to get some like context because I've heard how all it right, works before, right. but it's just like confusing. All right, remember, remember Roma's comeback. Of course, I'm going to bring this up uh, against Barcelona. Right. So in the first, the first leg, Roma lose four one, right? So it's four one, right? And then, um, sorry, then uh, but Jacko gets an away goal in that game, meaning they have an away goal. Okay. In the second leg, Roma win three nil. So they beat Barcelona. There's a great moment. Manolo scores that goal. Roma go to the semifinals, right? At that point, the score line from, from the first and the second leg, it is – so it's 4-1, and then we Roma went 3-0, making it 4-4, right? So now the scores are tied. Barcelona doesn't have an away goal. Roma scored away from home. They have that the away goal. So because of Roma's away goal, it pushes them through. So, for example, if, if it's tied – so if, if it was if – if it, the score was 4-1, 4-1, then you would go into extra time and penalties, et cetera, et cetera. But when, when the score is tied, it all depends on how many away goals. So if Barcelona has two away goals and Roma has three, Roma goes through. You get what I'm saying? Does that okay, make that makes much more sense because so, – so For example, Juventus-Porto, let's see, it's 3-3, it's three, three, but uh, Porto has two away goals. They will go through. If, it's, if Juventus has the away goal advantage, they would go through. If, if, it's, if it's even, then it goes into extra time. So, so theoretically speaking, the score could be six four and have to go into extra time based on the amount of goals, away goals, and et cetera, et cetera. So, so the scoreline of the particular game can be, if you know, lopsided. But if the away goals balances out, you would still go into extra time. So you could, you could essentially, it could, it could essentially be five three going to a penalty shootout. You're gonna right. Say, 
Okay. So the comment. It's just whoever has the most away goals, it, it gives you the advantage if the score is tied at the end. Okay, that makes much more sense because I know you've explained this to, it to me in the past, but I it just was always confusing to me with the away goal situation. So now I clarified that up yeah. a little bit. This is okay, Daniel. Let me explain really quick. This is why it's so important in that first leg with these teams who are playing away from home. So if, if you're an underdog playing away from home and you lose, but you get that you get an away goal, it gives you a huge boost because it's like okay, we need to score X amount of goals. The X amount of goals are, are significantly less if there's no away goal, because then the whole time you're you're trying to get back in the game. If it's a one goal separation, all you need is one. So if you win a one nil game away from home and you have an away goal to your advantage, then you go through. So it's just, this is why it's so important, especially, I'm going to say, especially in the game, um, in a few of these games that we're going to talk about, but this one in particular, if Porto doesn't get an away goal, I do not think they can go through. They have to get an away goal. And again, I don't know the order of which game comes first, but it's, it's very important. Right. So, up next, we got your friends Lazio, again, who is finished second in Group F and is currently ninth in Syria against, <laughs> I love that. against the Giants of Bayern, who are on the top of, were on top of both of Group A and currently the top of Bundesliga. So, I actually kind of already have an idea who's going to obviously win this match. I mean, Bayern definitely have the team top to bottom. This should be, like, no issues for them. I mean, Lazio right now is uh, – we'll get into the matches that happened this weekend a little bit later on, but we saw that they struggled a little bit. And so they have kinks in the armor that Bayern are going to tear apart. So this is definitely one of those easy matches for Bayern to, like, go through. Like, what do you think? Well, I, I'm excited to see the, the matchup between Immobile and, and Lewandowski. I think that's the that is the, the that's going to be the closest game than the actual game. Um, with respect, and I, again, I'm not cheering for them to go through, and I hope they don't, but – um, I'll get, you know, if you can pull a miracle off, you can pull it off. But they're going to get slaughtered. Are they going to lose 8-2 like Barcelona? Probably not. But I could see them winning 4-0 and 5-1. I mean, it, it's not going to be close. They're going to rip them apart. If you look at the defense and the way they played this weekend, if you're playing Bayern in that game, you're, you're I mean, it, it, it's just going to be ugly. It could even be over as soon as – a half hour mark of the first game, and I, I know Bayern are are, but Bayern lost or got drew with um, Union Berlin this uh, this last weekend. But again, let's 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 reiterate this: the Bundesliga is the best league in the world. So when Bayern Munich is dropping points, that's not ammo for a team that's going to play them. Union Berlin is a very strong team, and Bayer Leverkusen's first and all this stuff. We get we get all this, but the Bundesliga is the most challenging league to play in. It is, at this point, the highest level. So, with that being said, the fact that they're dropping points doesn't really go into Lazio's argument anyways because, I mean, Lewandowski can play horrible and they can cru- and they still can crush. You, you get what I'm saying? Right. And, and, and we talk- I talked about this with James on our other podcast uh, on Saturday. PSG is literally the only team that can beat them. 
I don't even think Liverpool are going to beat them. So you can't convince me that Kira Mobley by himself is going to dethrone one of the best sides we have seen in the last 10, 15 years. Right. And then the final matchup we have is Atalanta, who finished second in Group D and is currently at eighth in Serie A, take on the um, Real Madrid, who won Group B and is currently third in La Liga. So your thoughts? Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to say what's happening, what's going to happen, because we don't know what the future of Papu Gomez is. If he's not there, they're not winning this. If he is, they are. But the problem is we don't know where he's going to be in January. He could be at Atlanta. He could be at Liverpool. He could be at Milan. He could, he could be at five, six, seven, eight different places. Um, the underratedness of Papu Gomez probably limits the places he could go to. Um, but if he's not there, they don't have a chance of, of beating Real Madrid. It's, it's, I think it weakens their chance. But if everyone's healthy, if Alonso's all there, then we, we, they find a way to get through. Um, and I think they, they beat Real Madrid. But again, if, he's, if you take him away from that equation – Maybe they still can get through, but it's going to be much more difficult because your engine, your captain, is not going to be there anymore. Um, I, I have I have so much faith in Zabata that he can lead this team and get. The, let's say this, okay? Maybe maybe they go through regardless, but it's going to be it's going to be significantly more challenging if he's not there. And the problem with talking about this right now is we don't know what he's. All we know is he's not going to be there next year, based on what what's come out in the last uh, you know eight hours. The fact that he's he's speaking about the possibility of leaving, and he'll explain when that happens. So it makes me sound. It sounds like it's open sale for Papu Gomez in January, and the game, the matches are in February. So is is he going to be there? Is the first question. I have no freaking idea. If he's not, this entire narrative and and question changes it because. We have we haven't seen this team without Puapu Gomez, so there's there's and they're already struggling without him. It's going to be even more problematic. Right. Um, of course, we're going to now transition over to the matches that happened this weekend. First, I'll like talk about some of like the breaking news and Roma, and then I'll hand it over to you. Oh. Okay. So you know you 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 orchestrate the Roma uh, game and then start with that one. You can do the breaking news. We'll start with the Roma game, um, and then uh, and then I'll take over. All the right, rest. sounds good. Um, as you just mentioned, um, Papu Gomez had mentioned that he is interested in leaving Atalanta. Um, what was your reaction when this news came out? Hey, why don't you go first? I just I kind of just talked for the last couple minutes about this, so you go first, and okay. then I'll react. Um, I just saw this news like going through Facebook and then of course through some of our Facebook chats. I was like shocked. Um, he had made a post like saying, when I leave, the truth will come out eventually. Like, we don't know what, like, could there have been like some issues in the locker room that we don't know about? There was, there was a disagreement with Gasparini, uh, during the Midland game. Uh, that's that's what's being reported, but I don't know how truth how much truth that is because I watched that game and I didn't see any bust up. So I don't yeah, know. like they said, he said something about the truth will come out eventually, whatever that is, when he leaves. So one of the real I so I'm like shocked about this because 
it looked like everything was going fine for him at Atalanta. And something just recently came up that is causing him to say, oh, I want to get out of here. And once I leave, the truth will come out. Um, so could this could possibly mean that there's some toxicity go- start forming in the locker room and he wants to get out ahead of it before it gets worse? I mean, we don't know, but um, in regards to where he could go, of course, he's one of the best players. Uh, he's so in the, in the world. He's he's one of the best players in the world. Like to the Premier League fans, I, sorry, I had to throw you on the bus all the time, but they, they they don't see what we see. He's a top eight player in the world. He's he's not. You can't argue probably anything higher than that. Maybe you drop him as far as ten, but he's a top ten player in the world. That is just factual. Right. So like. I mean, he's one of the best players in the world. So, I mean, everything is would be wide open to him. He can go to the Premier League. He can go to another Serie A club if they'd have him, which if they're smart, they would. Um, he can go pretty much anywhere because he has he's a very versatile player and he is strong on counterattacks. He's good at getting the ball inside the box. He's even good at scoring goals himself. So he's just like yeah. – and he can even play defensively if needed to. So – Yeah, but the, the main thing is his creativity. That's what makes him so valuable. He's passing his, his intelligence and his leadership. Um, I mean, he's fucking phenomenal, but just <laughs> forget what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like – I mean, with just with his creativity and all these things, he's like a well-rounded player. So any club would be happy to have um, a player of his skill set and his abilities on their squad. So, I mean, like, why don't you just, like, touch up a little bit on, like, what you just said and, um, like, any other further thoughts that you may have? Okay. I will. Real quick. But where is – all right. Where would, where do you think he should go though? If, if if you're, you know, just from just from what you know about him and what uh, you know the clubs that can up, that are going to be interested in trying to upgrade, where 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 could you where could you see? Him I going? think Liverpool would be a great option, especially because Liverpool. I, I mean, Liverpool is a great team, but sometimes they lack that creativity, which Gomez would be able to bring to the team. Um, and of course, it would strengthen up their midfield uh, substantially, especially when it comes to like depth. And so, I think he would, and the way they would integrate him into the team would be just amazing to see. Yeah, I think um, according to reports, Lazio and Milan will be interested. Um, but Milan is going for a slapish life from RB Salzburg. Um, they're trying to still get him. Um, he, it looks like he's going to Leipzig. Um, but, I mean, I just don't know. I don't know how thrilled they'll be, Alonso will be, of selling him to to another club in Italy, especially one that's in the title challenge. Could they sell him to pa- Lazio? Maybe, but I still don't think that's happening because I, I, if you're at Lanta and you're trying to make the Champions League, you have to get – first of all, you have to get as much as you can. Secondly, you shouldn't be helping another team that's trying to get to the Champions League. So it's just like – it's going to weaken yourself by selling him to Italy. Um, so I, I think I think abroad is the best sort of example. When I think about this, I think of Papu Gomez going to either Liverpool or PSG. Um, go there to PSG with Neymar and Mbappe, creative player who can work well with Verratti. Um, 
And then on top of that, uh, he could Liverpool's perfect. You play him with Thiago, and and th- I, I feel like Liverpool are going to miss something. They're going to they're missing something to for them to be able to beat a team like RB Leipzig. We'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, but but I, they're going to need some a weapon like that to be able to really do it. Um, if PSG or Liverpool get Papu Gomez in the, in January, they will have a legitimate shot to taking down Bayern Munich. If if he goes to PSG, the Bayern Munich is in PSG. It's going to be a coin flip between those two. If he goes to Liverpool, I, I still think Bayern and PSG will be the favorites, but the Liverpool will be much more uh, dangerous team and a team that could take down one of these teams. But um, I mean, for me, it's just sad. He had he had done so much for Alanta and became a he went from playing in the Ukraine to being one of the best players in the world, world class player. Bonafide superstar, creative. Uh, he's 32 years of age. Um, I think he's worth about 70 million in the market, um, maybe even more. I think he's worth more, but I think around that's what his value will be: 60 to 70 million. Um, and then on top of all those things, different things, it's just like it's sad because of the entire the dynasty that he he helped grow with Gasparini. And Gasparini like fought for him. He said he was going to quit. I mean, if he had sold him because he was going to go to Lazio before, and and he he said he would quit if if they sell him. Um, so I don't understand how this could be. Gasparini has literally come to his bat like a hundred times. I don't know, but I, I, it it seems like Papu Gomez is is just he feels. I don't. I don't know what it feels to be honest, but it's just a. It's a complicated situation, and it's it's quite sad actually because of what he has done with Alanta. Because all we wanted to see is them winning something, and and it's a team that's better than Leicester City. If if, if Alanta and Leicester City played in a two-legged tie, and Alanta at their best, Leicester City the team that won the title, I think Alanta would win seven to two. That's how much better they are than Leicester City. Um, but Leicester City got the trophy, and Alanta wasn't able to. I mean, I think, lar- I think largely because the, the Premier League was not that strong. At, I mean, they were strong, but they weren't. They were kind of dying down at that point. Um, and I'm not taking anything away from Leicester City. They're, they're amazing, and greatest story of, of my life in football. But uh, just player for player, uh, other than like Vardy, Leicester, and Conte and Mares, I think this this Alonso team was so much better, except they're not going to get the end result that Leicester City ended up getting. And uh, I don't know, just it is just unfortunate because if the problem is I, I don't think they're going to sell to somebody who's going to be fighting for the Champions League. So we're going to have to say, I mean, Serie A is going to miss out on, uh, if, if they sell this season, it won't be to an Italian team. Um, next season, maybe. But if, if he leaves in January, I, I doubt it will be Italy. So we'll miss out on a, on arguably one of the best players we've had in our league for the last five I years. I definitely agree. I mean, it's just unfortunate that things have ended up to where he wants to leave Atalanta when things look to be going so well for him there. And it looked like there was no issues, but then just something recently happened that just, like, caused him to, like, say, screw this, I'm done. And we've always seen Gasparini always have, like, a strong relationship with the players in the locker room. And it always looked like he was always going to go to – he always goes to bat for his players, even if things are rough. Um, so it's just unfortunate. So, I mean, Papu Gomez, we wish you the best of luck, whatever you decide to do. And we back you, and we will still support you no matter what. Uh, 
Unless you sign for last year, then fuck you. <laughs> yeah, or if you sign for, or for me if you sign for Milan, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but anyway, um, let's jump into the Roma match. Um, first, there's a one piece of news to address. Um, actually, two. I I have something also, but uh, do you want me to say it after you, or wait till we're done talking about the match? Well, I'll just jump in with like the first bit of news. Um, Chris Stantz. As everybody knows, Cristante has been a huge part of Roma for a while now. And he has just recently received um, a suspension for, oh, God, forgive me for saying your name in vain, but he said, oh, my God, during um, the recent match against um, Bologna. And in Rome, it, it is, a, um, I guess, illegal to say that. And so because of that, he ended up getting a suspension. Like, I think this is just totally stupid. I mean, it was completely out of pure <laughs> frustration of the own goal and just thinking that it was just like a stupid move and it could have been prevented. And he, just, he was just frustrated with himself for messing up. So, like, what is your thoughts? It's, it's, I don't understand how this is a law. I mean, it's, it's not illegal to say God in Italy, but in Italian football, the Federation doesn't like when their players use um, that type of language. And you're a religious person. The fact that you just said that kind of justifies my entire point. It, it would be one thing he said, God is the worst. Not in hell. <laughs> he literally said, it was just God. I think he just said God. Because if, if you remember the own goal, it was a bad own goal. He kicked the post after because he went back into the net and then he came out and he kicked the post with his foot and then he shouted something. I, you know, I, it was an Italian, so I didn't know what the heck he was talking about, but I, I, I know what they're referring to. But how, how, is that, how is that a rule? I mean, <laughs> I just don't understand. What, what, what well, the I can kind this. of address that from a Christian standpoint. Um, in the word of God, in the new. In the yeah. in just briefly, I'll touch up. Um, one of the Ten Commandments it says, "Thou shalt not misuse thy Lord's name in vain." So that basically means the only time you're really allowed to use God's name is within worship and prayer. But if anything outside of that, it's kind of like considered a blasphemy and a swear word. It's kind of it's one of those situations. So and in Rome, being near the um. The thing. <laughs> well, the uh, which one? Coliseum? The, yeah, the, uh, the Pope? Like, the, where the, Pope the Pope, is, right? Oh, the Vatican. Um, due to being, like, in Rome, that yeah. in that vicinity, so it kind of would make sense. But So that's just where it comes from, the biblical standpoint. So I just wanted to touch briefly on that. Right, and I, I understand that, but it, it... Look, if you're saying it for saying it, with the intention of saying it, that's one thing. I don't think Cristante's intention was to use those exact words. It's just like one of those things where you do something stupid, you frustrate, you say something. Just like when I say certain things when I'm frustrated. It, it's, so the fact that it wasn't his intent to say it and it wasn't it wasn't premeditated, it was spur of the moment kind of situation. Um, and um, yeah, it just doesn't make sense why this would be why this would be some sort of um, rule that you, I mean I understand from what you, you just told me but but I don't understand why this why this is a punishable offense just for for lashing out of frustration um and you know 
I think they're trying to get to him apologize. Um, I don't want to get into this. I wouldn't do it because it wasn't like it was premeditated. If he's intending to say that to do a certain thing, then he's doing that. But if he's just doing it, lashing out of frustration, that you, that's like a, you can't control that type of impulse. It's just like if, if, you, dro- if you drop a rock on your foot, like telling you not to, not to um, react to it. You know what I mean? He reacted to a bad situation, a painful situation, at least mentally. He kicked the post. He said, God. And, and I mean, luckily we're playing Torino. <laughs> um, and they suck next, this, on Thursday. Uh, but um, And we'll have – I think Mancini should be back by then. So we'll have Abanez, Mancini, and Cambola we'll, or Smalling. It doesn't matter. We'll have a back three that's going to be very respectable and good. Um, I think he's done a good job of transitioning. Um, so I, I'm not going to say he's going to be missed, but he's he's a valuable piece to this to this Roma thing. But um, again, um, I just think I definitely agree. I mean, I, even I, as a Christian, and I'm saying it, the Lord's name in vain, and I ask God for forgiveness for doing it because if some, especially if it was out of pure frustration, and I don't mean to say it out loud unless it's being used in prayer, obviously. So, another piece of news was Eden Dzeko just scored his 111th goal, which makes him now third in their all-time goal-scoring list. Like, what was your reaction to, like, seeing him achieve this milestone? Uh, I mean, it's great. It's, it's, I mean, I was trying to figure out earlier today where he would rank. I think he's a top-ten Roman player of all time. Um, Roma has a lot of great players, but that's, that's where I feel right now. Maybe, maybe not top 10, maybe top 15 at worst. Um, but if you just look at center forwards who played at Roma, there are very few that you can argue that are better than him. I, you, you can say Totti, but I never considered Totti a, a center forward. I always looked at him as an attacking midfielder. So I don't put him in the same sentence with, in terms of ranking strikers, um, but anyway, even if you include him, you could, the only two names I can think of that were better, um, is, um, well, it depends on how you rank it. I'm not counting, uh, Bastuta because he was there for a year and a half. Um, but if, if you want to add him in there, he's no worse than a top five because you have Roberto Pruzzo, who's, who's, who, uh, uh, who I think is second with 138 goals. And then you have Toti with 307. He's not getting to 307. That's not happening. Um, but Toti, I don't consider him a striker. So you have Roberto Prusa, you have uh, Bastuta, and then you have Jekyll. So at worst, he's the top three, top four. Um, um, not player, but center forward of all time. Um, it's a tr- really tremendous amount. Um, but again, it's, it's the same sentiment I've had every year he's broken records. It's just, to me, it's like, I hope it's not for, uh, you know, he, all his greatness – it wasn't for nothing. You know what I mean? So a trophy, a trophy needs to, I think just because of Jekko's greatness, Roman need to win something. And I think they will win something this year, whether it's the Europa League or Copa Italia. I think this team is good enough to win one of these competitions. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, he's been unbelievably great. And uh, I mean, Roma fans slag him off all the time, which I don't quite understand um, because his finishing isn't what it was from five years ago. I get that, but, as a striker, he's as complete as you know anybody right now. So, I was happy for him, and, and we know that the Jacko. I love I love Jacko. So it was it was amazing to see that moment. And um, 
a lot of people don't are not aware of these things. I am because I'm I'm one of I'm, Jacko's been one of my favorite players for a really really long time. Uh, Ed and Jacko is is just he just is. So um, I was happy for him to get that milestone. His um, the daughter of the um, of the player he now uh, who's on level with goals with um, came out with a statement today talking about. Um, uh, that his that her dad would have loved just to see him play and and that she sees some similarities between him and and uh, her father who's who's passed away and obviously obviously but um, um so that was that was a nice right. touch as well and of course now we're gonna just jump into the game in general um as we know Roma annihilated Bologna five one so what was your reaction. I mean, if we can play that the rest of the, like that every day, we'll win the league. Um, I mean, I'm not saying Roma have the best team in the league or anything, but, but, but this season has there been a. I mean, that might be the most dominating Roma have had or Italy has seen this season. Literally, it was over in 15 minutes. <laughs> this is you, this is the funny thing we talk about with Inter is we have to survive that 15 minutes. Could you imagine having the 15 minutes that the Bologna, the Bologna that, that Bologna did against uh, Inter or not? Sorry, not against Roma. <laughs> Absolutely crushed them. It was 15 minutes, and at that point, it's already over now. And then we scored two more times. Um, no, it was just it was quick fire. It was one, two, three, boom. And it was like first, well, at first, you know, Spinazzola puts it in the box, put it back in the net. Okay, one nail to to, to Roma. Five minutes later, uh, put it to Jacko right in space, separates himself from the defender, puts it in the back of the net. As I said, hundred and eleven goal for Roma. Um, and then the really good goals were the great lead up goal. That's the third. Uh, actually, the third one was Pellegrini. They released Pellegrini. Uh, Bologna's defense was terrible, letting him be on size and scoring. And then the last two goals that they scored, um, then there was Cristiano's own goal in between, but I don't, I don't need to mention that. Um, the last two were incredible. Like, basically, like the short passing uh, from uh, from one to another. Jekyll was on the, the wing, cut it to the midfield, where he found um, uh, Mkhitaryan, who hit it to Pellegrini, uh, to, to Pellegrini, who hit it to Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan hit it to Bacciagiorda, Veratou, and Veratou just hits it in the bottom corner. Beautiful goal. One of the best team goals this season. Then on the second goal, same kind of thing, a buildup from the defense of the midfield. And then Rick Harsdorp really just rips down the wing, um, goes around and just hits Mkhitaryan right in, right in the middle of the box. And his strike went right down Main Street to the back of the net. And it's 5-1. And um, you, you know what? We could have scored more. Um, and the only reason I bring this up, is because it's the polar opposite of what we saw in the summer uh, of 2019 um, in the uh, 2019 the, the women's World Cup. Um, Roma could have scored five to six more goals. Bologna were just that bad, um, and we scored another one that was taken away with VAR, but probably the right decision ultimately in there. Um, they decided, and I, I, I attribute Jacko to this. I think he made a decision as the captain. That we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna approach this game a little differently. We're gonna take our foot off the gas. We're just gonna try a different approach. We don't. We respect Bologna. They came into our place last season and beat us. We respect them. They're they're a team that's going through a transition. I think I don't I don't I don't think they need a new coach personally. Um, but that we just we respect them and it will be disrespectful. It's like unwritten rules. You just don't want up the scores. 
Um, it's the difference between class and embarrassment. Roma conducted that way in the second half for a reason. Bologna are going to be are more grateful or less. Well, they got they got crushed, but um, Bologna are a team that I think were appreciative of the way we play the second half because they very well know we could have scored four or five more goals. Um, and then the U.S. women do the thing and against Thailand where they win fourteen nothing. And other than the you know, I'm not going to say what but yep. you, you get who I'm talking about. Um, the majority of the people looked at that as a national embarrassment. They embarrassed America. Um, and I don't want to get into this too much, but, but it just shows the difference between, between, you know, class and embarrassment. And this is why and this, uh, on this point, I'm just going to end it here. This is, this is why Edin Dzeko is a 10 times better leader than Megan Rapino. Jekyll could have said, let's score five more goals, but he had too much respect for the opposition where she didn't. Um, and I think in the end of the, all of this, it was a great performance. It was the best performance this season. They were absolutely incredible. Um, but in the end, in the very end, Roma didn't feel the need to, to add more misery to a team that's not going, gone through the best moment this season. And, if, and it's not like they're trying not to win the game or anything like that, or they're not trying not to score. They just went about a different approach. It's about dictating control. And you can use those qualities in a totally different game. You know what I mean? Where you can use – you're working on specific things that you look at these other situations and you're saying, we, we can use this in the way we played the second half of this game, and we can use these type of ideas that we sort of worked on into the next game while not trying to run up the score like – I don't know. It's just unwritten rules. And I, I, I really respected the way that Roma went about doing it. Uh, I, again, I would have been fine if they had scored six but um, or the Pellegrini goal standard. But I like the fact that they didn't, they didn't continue to attack like they were losing. And they, they, just, they just left it as it is. They took the throw out their gas. They saw the game out. And in, in this sport, this is what you're supposed to do. It's, 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 a, it's a sense of respect. And I, I feel like we gave that to Bidloni. And again, Great performance, but I really appreciate that. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that. I'm like, women's American women's national team takes some notes from because they just show class and respect. Uh, especially since Bologna, as we all know, Bologna has been struggling, and they're trying to get back into it. So, just kudos to Rama. And in speaking of Vertut, you just recently got him back for this match. Um, I bet you were excited to see him finally. Play again. No, yeah, he was great. <laughs> but again, this is one of these players that I'm, me and Roma fans don't sit on the same side. I think it's one of our best players. And there's other Roma fans that think he wouldn't start for, for a top five team in Italy. I think he's excellent. I think people don't appreciate um, the little things that he does. You know what I mean? Uh, again, he's not, he, he's had a, he's had a, a, a interesting career. We, we remember he was on that Aston Villa team. That was one of the worst teams that we've ever seen. Uh, probably the worst team you've ever seen outside of maybe Kiev Verona since you've been watching. Um, he rebounded. He went to France a couple years at Florentina and Roma. Um, he's earned his place on a team like this, and I thought he was great. Was he the man of the match? No, that, that was definitely Pellegrini. But, but, again, another thing with this is it's just he's shown it's, – it's one of these things where it's like – the, the gritty grit players who, who don't play the sexy way or they're uh, not, not necessarily unattractive to watch, but they don't, they don't provide the, the, the flash are still very good. 
it wasn't just the fact that the, the passing was so precise on that goal. It was a great finish too. If he if he doesn't finish, he, you know, it it's it's a complicated thing to do. But again, I I was happy to see him back. Uh, um, I like that uh, we got to see Gonzalo Villar in action. Um, and I forgot to mention, Paulo Fonseca was in the stands in the box watching it, uh, watching it in it from up above, and Roma play like that. Um, and then Pedro Rodriguez was also above watching Roma play like this. So um, <clears throat> they could, both were out with suspension, and they didn't they weren't needed, and we were able to play with uh, a different kind, not a for, different formation, but a different. Um, Away where Pellegrini kind of put put himself in the wing instead of being at the defense midfield, and you had Vera two and, and VR. Uh, but and again, it's something we can we can experiment with later. But uh, again, you look at all this stuff that happens uh, in that game. I mean, I think the Paulo Fonseca mentality and their their desire to win has just grown into this team, even when he wasn't even on the sideline. I definitely agree. I mean, just like how your guys are able to adapt to certain scenarios and situations is just amazing. And I actually think you will be pushing for at least the Copa Italia or Europa title this year. It's just, it's just shown and Jekyll deserves it too, especially since his time is limited. I mean, there's no, if you guys keep up this momentum, who knows I could definitely see you guys winning the Scudetto in the maybe next one to two seasons. I th- I think we can win it next year. I don't think we can win it this year as much as I'd love to to, to think that. Can we be involved? Yeah, sure. Um, but I think we'll win either the Europa League or the Copa Italia. Um, look, it, look at just let's, let's just look at the Europa League for a second. Which teams can actually beat them? I mean, at full strength, not many. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's like Shakhtar is, is a team that can kick you in the counter, but they don't have the defense to back it up. So I I don't think they beat Roma. Uh, Man United aren't beating Roma. I'm sorry. Man United are not better than Roma in almost that. And the midfield is probably even. Everywhere else, Roma had an advantage. I know everyone thinks the bet the bookies are saying that uh, they're the the, the 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 odds favorite, but no, they shouldn't be. Um, then you can look at Napoli could maybe win it, but again, I think they're going to prioritize something else, and so what AC Milan. Um, and then, then it gets difficult. So, so there are teams out there. Real Sociedad is a team that might be able to, to go through. But uh, I think Roma are the favorite. Spurs, uh, Spurs actually, Roma and Spurs are probably that's if they don't meet before that. That's probably going to be the Europa League final. Um, and I kind of really hope it is because it's my team against Ryan's rivals. So. If uh, if we beat them in the Europa League final, Ryan will be an honorary, honorary Roman for a day. Um, but that's the only team I'm really worried about. But, but the connection of Son and Harry Kane terrifies me. So I'm really hoping that someone knocks them out before uh, before we have to play each other. But again, and then the Copa Italia, I think this is a competition we can win, especially with Pedro. Pedro's won everything. When I mean everything, literally everything. He's won the Europa League, the World Cup, the Champions League, La Liga, the Premier League. I mean, and well, actually not Serie A or anything like that. But, but in his career so far, he's won everything there is to win. He's won the Euros and the World Cup and the Champions League and the Europa League and, and <laughs> countless titles, was on that great Barcelona team. So that's also a really important right. component to Rome as well. Um, so now I'm going to hand the reins to you. So <laughs> let's 
All right, I'm going to ask you one thing, but one more thing on Rama, and then we'll run. Uh, so Pellegrini has been uh, offered, actually two, well, there's one Juventus thing, but I'm going to say that for when we talk about Juventus. Uh, so um, Lorenzo Pellegrini has been offered a new contract uh, that will keep him to the club at 25, sorry, until 2025. Um, uh, I think he's, he's, he's expected to earn $3 million a year. It will, also re- it will also remove his release clause of $30 million. Um, so I guess two two part question for you here. Uh, do you like the move? Uh, sorry. First of all, do you like the move? Secondly, uh, touch on the, uh, how important the release clause not being there. And I know this is a crazy question because we're in we're in a day and age where um, footballers leave left and right. Do you do you could you see um, Pellegrini as a, a, a potentially a Roma lifer and a future captain. And he is from Rome, if that helps. But uh, I know I asked you like three different questions, but uh, just respond okay, to how first, you Okay, first I'm going to start on. off with what do I think about the move? I think this is definitely a great move, especially since Pellegrini has proved a vital piece to Roma's success. Um, so I think keeping him on until the year 2025 would is definitely a smart move, especially with all that he's been able to contribute and to lose a, like a key piece like that. I mean, we'll already have all those pieces there, even if he were to leave, but it's always good to have that. Yeah. Again, it's like, we're going to lose Zaniola or Pellegrini. So I think eventually, I hope not, but eventually I feel like that's going to happen. And keeping a Roman-born kid like that there, committed, I think is and a big anyway, so continue. I just think this is definitely a great move. Um, and you said this removes his $30 million, um release clause, right? Yeah, it's, if, if he signs – I mean, he just has to sign it. I'm, I'm guessing he will. It, will. it will remove it so no one can – basically buy him without um, I think that's also a good move especially since he's just a great quality player and having that release clause there is definitely a good it, it kind of like deters other people from trying to steal him but um, and what was the third part of the question do, do you see him I mean I think it's obvious when Jekyll leaves he's going to be captain but that's that's just a given um do you see him as potentially obviously he'll never touch these guys in terms of legacy. Do you see him as a player who could who could you could you could see spending the rest of his career in Rome considering um, that he's from I the area? think it's a huge possibility um just because he I, I mean he it's Italy. You could go to a couple other places that are nearby but just he would probably want to stay where his home is and so I think he would definitely be it would be beneficial for him to just like stay at the club like going forward. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I think there's an 85 percent chance he's he's not going to join another club before he retires, unless he goes to like an MLS when he's older. But he's from Rome. These Roman kids love the club. They want to. They grow their up wanting to be. You know, it's and it's not like he was academy product that's not from Rome. He's from literally from Roma. So, so I think it's very. It's I think it's unlikely that he'll leave. Um, I suspect that he'll be future captain. Um, and all due respect to Alexander Florenzi, who's doing well at PSG, and I know they play different positions. Florenzi is a much higher ceiling, is a lot better. Um, 
So it's it's like it's like one of these things where if you're a Roman kid and you don't have the qualities, then we'll send you off. But if you have the ability, then you'll be there. And I think regardless of what happens, I think in the end he will and he will be there. And I I think it's it's highly likely he'll never leave. Um, Anyway, speaking of uh, teams that aren't in the Champions League, um, you guys had an interesting game this weekend against Calgary. a little tense, a little uh, nerve-wracking, uh, to say the least. Um, but uh, what were your thoughts on the uh, Oh, my word. Finally, I mean, this was one of those matches, especially after um, tanking out of the Champions League and Europa League. This was one of those matches that is kind of going to start – they need to start, win- start winning, like, the um, – I mean, get, I guess get the momentum going especially if they're going to push for the Scudetto, which I, in my opinion, definitely needs to be won, along with the Coppa Italia, for any reason for Conte to keep his job. Um, but they did it. I mean, it was kind of, it started off kind of like rocky in the beginning with um, Cagliari going 1-0 up before the end of the first half. But... Barella, like, showed that heart and determination, and he did what was needed to start the rally back from that losing deficit. Once he scored that first goal, it was just like everybody started firing up on all cylinders. And, I mean, he even did this after having some gauze put on his face after going for a challenge and colliding with another player. But he just was on a whole nother level last night, especially with how he was able to get the team rallied and how he was able to help bring them back from where they won 3-1. So it was just a great performance overall. Yeah, it reminded me of like those ugly – remember back like pre-Ronaldo Juventus days where they play like absolute crap, but then they'd find a way to win a game? That's what it felt like because Inter played well, but they weren't great. They weren't brilliant. They were – I mean, I'm watching this game like, yeah, they're, they're going to fucking blow this because they just weren't playing well um, from anywhere, really. Um, then they get the goal, they get it back, and then once they score, their mentality changes. They have that D'Ambrosio <laughs> flies was amazing with that header. Um, yeah, uh, like he literally falls in. Um, and then, I mean, look, it's great. Lukaku got another goal at the end. But it was it was just it, – it was sort of just, just icing on the cake um, because the only reason he was able to do that is because uh, Calgary pushed their fo- – uh, sorry, pushed their goalkeeper forward to help on the corner. Um, and then, again, Lukaku just ends up with the ball at his feet with, you know, acres of space to operate to score that goal. Um so it essentially was like a 2-1 win victory. Um, but, I mean, it's a good result. DeFrancesco's teams are, are very annoying to play against. Um, yes, you can beat them. Are they the best team in the world? No. But are they a team that can give every, anyone a good game? Absolutely. So um, I, I think that was a, uh, a good victory. Um, so it's, what, what did you uh, – what do you think you were missing um, last night? I mean, in terms of obviously it was a good game. You, ugly, you played ugly. You won the game. Beautiful. Um, but what do you think uh, – what component was missing from a more, um, I guess, uh, smooth performance? Um, I really don't know how – like, 
there was all the pieces there. Um, oh, no, but but let's let's I I get you won. It was great. Let's 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 be let's be totally fair here. You were really bad. I'm I would say bad. You were kind of average for about eighty, or like about half that game. So it wasn't like Inter were flawless, and then they ended up scoring late. They weren't very. They, they were. They underperformed most of the game, and then they won it late. So just 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 think about what you what was going through your head when you weren't winning this game, and and that sort of thing. Just try to look at it from that angle to try to you know invoke the truth. I think it was just lack of creativity in the first half. There wasn't really any like solid chances being orchestrated. And I think another thing that was another issue was the finishing of those chances that did come. Um, but like, but I just think overall it, we lacked that creativity and like this, the, I guess the momentum or speed or something that caused it to just start off like slow. But then once the second half came and we got the goal, we just picked it up to that other gear so I think just the speed and the lack of creativity in the first half kind of like made it look like a rocky match instead of something that would be more smooth throughout. Do you think you started too slowly and it just took you too? I mean, took you a long time to. to I I think your, that it was one of those scenarios because like I've seen interplay recently where. They start off like so slow, and it feels like there's they're not going to do anything. But they like second half or something happens that they just kick it up, knowing that a win is imperative. I mean, they should be firing on all cylinders from the get go, just so it doesn't have to like end up waiting until the second half to pull off those victories where we just end up skating by. Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. Do you hear me okay? All right. I, I went out of my app, and um, yep. I can't get back to the screen, but if you can hear me, then we're good. Um, no, you're right. You're right. I, I think um, it was some stupid, like someone on Facebook saying something about Braga. Um, but um, anyway, um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Do you think this is, like, one of those performances that can define the rest of the season, or do you think this was, was a tough game you, you had to power through? How important do you think that that performance, especially after getting knocked out of the Champions League and not playing, not getting able, not with the, without without the um, opportunity going the I just either. think that this was a match that needed to be won regardless to start like getting that momentum back, especially now that we can focus solely on the league. Um, I mean, in regards to the other parts of the question. Um, do I think this kind of might be an issue going forward? Yes. Especially when it comes to like the bigger matches, especially against Milan, Lazio, Napoli, who are also trying to fight for a title. Um, if they need to be able to start working and like pushing from the get go and kind of making things a little bit more smooth. So we don't have to wait until like the last minute to possibly get a, a result. Cause that's the only concern that I really have is that they're going to start uh, things will start off rough and then it, we get the result at the end and say, yada, yada, we won, we won. Yeah. No, I want to see consistency throughout every single match from start to finish. 
Hello? Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, technical difficulties, and it wouldn't be the show without one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, you can cut that out if you want, but it's all good. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's that's all I have an answer. Um, so now let's talk about a team that we neither one of us are really that infatuated with. Um, Lazio. Against Verona, Verona gets 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 the points. Um, what what's going on over there, man? Uh, especially, with the, especially with the defending, both of those goals were completely avoidable. Um, so so, uh, what, what were your thoughts? Lazio, Houston, you have a problem. <laughs> um, I mean, this match. I mean, yeah, they scored, but of course, the defense is like the main issue here um those goals obviously could have been avoided and just how Verona was able to find those gaps was just shows that they're really interested in competing for possibly a a Europa League spot at some point Mm -hmm. Um, because they have that kind of like mentality that we want to finally see European football since it's been forever since we've been there. So they're going to fight for it. And they are showing that they are a force to be reckoned with. Um, So I just, it's just shocking to see that Lazio is competing like this, especially after starting off red hot. Yeah. um, You think it's time to put Thomas Strakoska back in goal? Because I know I know he he was struggling before, and Reyna had been okay in a few games. But I mean, what is he doing with that pass? He just, it got picked off. The guy had an open net at the end. You know, you know the one where he dribbled around the goalkeeper who was already out of position, just putting it in the back of the net. It wasn't like a complicated thing that happened there. It was just a horrible mistake that led to to, to be honest, led to the goal. Um, so would you would you go back to Strakoska at this point, given what we saw this weekend? I definitely think that is definitely something that they have to consider, especially since he has had way more success in goal than I don't know the name of this current keeper. It just um, to me. Yeah, um, he's just the other guy is just way more experienced and it doesn't make those like errors, and so. This may be something that they have to consider going forward, especially if it's going to happen routinely. Yeah, I don't understand why they took Sakosha's job away from him in the first place. It's not like he was fully responsible for every goal that went in the back of his net. I mean, if you're a goalkeeper, you're going to concede goals regardless. Um, no, but I, I just think it doesn't make sense to, to go f- forward with someone who's almost 40 years old, um, even though he's, he's had moments um, in, in the, you know, and everything, but like again, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think this is a this is a a champions. Well, obviously they're gonna bounce in the Champions League, but this is not a team that can get back in that competition. I don't think. I actually don't think anybody who is who is fighting for Champions League even that's that that's even worried about them. Are you worried about them getting in the Champions League? Because I know I'm not. I'm definitely not either. But 
I'm, I'm just backing whoever the hell I want right now because if or not in a thing. Yeah, but you, you know what I'm saying. It's just like when you're thinking, when you're trying to get the championship, you're trying to get into the title race, you kind of have an idea of who you want to avoid, get who you're cheering against just so it benefits you. I'm way more worried about Verona than I am about Lazio. Lazio, they played well. They got that great goal, but defensively, um, that was uh, it was it was chaos. I, I don't know what what's going on over there, but uh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> um, let's see here. What, what else happened? Um, all right, let's not talk about uh, too much. Um, but actually, we don't even talk about the length of this game. Uh, Benevento to swallow. We know the story. Benevento dominated the entire match, had so many chances to score and probably should have. Um, and then Sassuolo got a penalty that didn't even touch the guy's arm. Your thoughts? It was, I mean, what the hell? I mean, Benevento had so many great opportunities, but just couldn't finish. And then you had Sassuolo get a penalty that didn't even touch his arm. So that was like, the old, and I think that was the only goal of the match, right? It was. It was early in that match, too. And it's the second week in a row that the referees are being uh, <laughs> very kind to them. I was so they were someone was posting about uh, their placing. Um, I think it was six side couch. I'll give them a shout out. But um, I commented in the in the um, I commented on Instagram underneath the picture. So they're saying, oh, so swallows in this place. And, and I was like, thanks to a, a VAR call against Roma that, that basically stole Roma's goal away, a red card that wasn't given, and two penalties in the last two games that should that one that wasn't called and should have been against them, and then one that was called for them against Benevento. Uh, Benevento should have won this game, I get it, but that, that, that's not my takeaway. It's how egregious that call was. Yeah, it's just like Really, I mean, like I said, there may be a, a time where all the officials need to go back to officiating school and learn how to call things down the middle because this is just getting ridiculous on how some of these matches are being called, not just with the normal officiating, but VAR as well. It's just like it's kind of starting to be used in the wrong way, and there needs to be some sort of like class or something where they learn how to call things down the middle and when to use and when not to use it. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that one. Um, I probably I don't have that many uh, talk thing points about this game, but Cortone getting three points, big three points for them as they try to fight their way out of the relegation zone against Spezia, who has been a team that's done really well from after being promoted. Uh, what were your thoughts on? Uh, Crotone doing this so easily and are you surprised that it was as lopsided as it was I was like wow Crotone what look at you finally trying to put some fight going on up in here <laughs> but because Spezia this was is a Spezia side that has had recent success throughout the first portion of the season and just to see them lose is like Whoa, but of course, now that Crotone is starting to really realize what situation they're in, they're going to start doing what is needed to get out and as far away from the relegation zone as possible. So they're going to start working on all cylinders. And I think it was very clear that they still have what it takes to get out of there. And 
it, I just hope that they're able to pull it off because it would suck to see them get elim- relegated to Serie B. Yeah. Um, yeah, the first one of the season, Spezia is still, I think, two points out of the relegation zone, so it doesn't ding them that much. But um, good for them. They needed those points because they were on pace to be one of the worst teams we've ever seen in this league, and um, they don't deserve that. So, all right, probably one of the most exciting games this last week. Uh, ben, sorry, not Benevento. Uh, Torino and Udinese going back and forth um, between one another in a, a five-goal thriller. What, what were your thoughts on that one? That was definitely amazing. Um, it was pretty much a dogfight back and forth. Um, and it was awesome that they were able to like put on that just amazing performance, which had, and I mean, some of the, these are two teams that have also kind of struggled this season a little bit, but now that what? Yeah, No, I agree. I, I said, I agree. Yeah. So it's just nice to see that these teams are finally starting to like, put on an epic performance and try to do what is needed to survive this year. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, I think that was Udinese's third win in a row. Uh, pretty soon. I, they're not going to challenge for Europe, obviously, but, and, but I, I kind of feel if they keep this up, they may not be, they may not have to be bothered with the relegation zone because they were there early and then they, they picked up. I, I'm pretty sure that this, this was their third, um, third win in a row. Uh, they're now uh, they're now all the way in tenth. They're thirteenth. They have thirteen points. They're um, and then the uh, the the eighteenth play terrain who's now in, who is in eighteenth has six points. So they're not. It's not out of the way, but they they certainly have have hit fire lately. They have three wins of the last four. They've they're unbeaten four out of five after a horrible start of the season. I mean, really impressive. And again, I, I'm going to reiterate this. Uh, Andre Bellotti needs to get the. Get the you know what out of town. He is like one of the top scorers in the league, and his team has his in 18th. <laughs> I mean, he needs to get out of there at, with at any means necessary. I agree. All right. Um, uh, Napoli beats uh, Sampdoria. And any any thoughts on their performance, especially that Napoli is is playing Inter next week. Um, if I remember correctly, who do they take on? Uh, Sampdoria. And they won, right? Two to one. Okay. Uh, it was a, definitely a great win for them. Um, it just sucks to see um the opponent like struggle a little bit. Yeah. Um, Chucky Lozano was excellent in this game. If there's one person you need to identify for Inter's match um this week, it's it's him. He's on fire. He set up the. He um great goal in the first one. I, th- I believe it was a di- uh, diving header or something. He he scored a great goal in the beginning of the game, and then uh, he set up the weakest player in Napoli for um uh for the second goal to to win it. Um, I'm not I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say who it is, just so no one comes after me. So you can guess who that actually. It kind of if if <laughs> if you watch the game, you know who I'm talking about, but um. I wouldn't say it's the weakest player. I just think he's not good enough to play from Napoli. That's a whole other issue. But uh, Lozano was excellent. Um, Sam Doria for the second game in a row played really well and lost. And at this point, I'm kind of feeling bad for him because they, they were really good in this game and they were good last week uh, against Milan. Um, eventually, these these tough losses are going to turn into wins. Um, no goal line save from them this week, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see them get back on the right track. All right. Um, 
Let's see here. Who else played? Um, uh, now the laughing stock of the league, Fiorentina loses again to Atlanta. Uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, good job to Atalanta. You got points. You've been struggling for a little bit, so it's about time that you finally got a good results again. Fiorentina, I mean, come on, man, we trusted you. You were the chosen one, but you keep doing this to us every single year. So it's like we're done with yeah. you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote the, I'm going to quote the great Skip Bayless when, when he talked about LeBron James. Um, so I'm gonna use his words. Fiorentina, you said you were the chosen one, but you turned into the frozen one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most smartest thing Skip Bayless has ever said. Yeah. Now, Skip is Skip says a lot of stupid shit, but but he, he does know what he's talking about occasionally. And I, when he said that line, I thought it was hilarious. Um, all right. Uh, penalty circuit that in the Juventus uh, general game. Um, what are your thoughts on that performance? I mean, yeah, Juventus got the points, but they're relying too heavily on getting penalties and having – Pinaldo score those goals. I mean, this is just like, yeah, Juventus won 3-1. Yeah, and so did an Inter won 3-1, and we didn't have to rely on the referees giving us penalties to do it. So Yeah, I get that. In fairness, the first one was definitely a penalty. The second one... Eh. I, 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 can argue, I can see why they gave it. I think that's a 50-50. That's a, that's a I was just kind of saying that to make a joke, but um, but again, the other thing you have to remember in this game is Dabala scored his first goal of the season, so I'm I'm really happy about that because last season he was a fucking problem for everybody, and he he's not really been able to do what he does best because he's not being played correctly under the in this system. But a good goal for him. Um, he has just been handed a new contract by Juventus. Um, we'll see if he signs it. Um, but again, if he doesn't sign it, he's, he's not going to be back. But, uh, um, I mean, it's a kind of a good win. It was two penalties. I, I don't think this is a great win. I think they play pretty badly for most of the game. Um, but, uh, you know, three points is three points. And Ronaldo scored his fifth and sixth penalty of the season. Um, so, uh, that number's only going to go up. And I'm, I'm not discrediting Ronaldo, but he, he wasn't. Again, it was another game where he didn't do much other than that. So, so he needs to start playing better, and I'm, I'm just saying that. Um, all right, last but least, you're your favorite team in the world. Um, Milan coming back twice. Uh, sorry, coming back from two down uh, to spare point with, uh, with uh, Parma. Thoughts and feelings on that. First of all, way to go, Parma. Thank you for helping us out, even though you beat both of our Milan teams, though. But still, we appreciate your help. Um, but, uh, wow, it just shows how much fight and determination Milan have for winning the Scudetto this season. They made the changes. They knew where to be inside the box to execute those goals. Um I mean, Rodrigo DePaul is still my dude. I mean, he did a great job creating the chance. Slow down. He played. Who, who, do who, who do you mean? He plays for Udinese. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Are you talking about Frank Cassie? Yeah, Cassie. Okay. All right. I was just making sure. <laughs> like, like, like I said, 
Okay, guys, ladies and gentlemen, there's so many plans and so many teams. So, warning, I might get them confused. <laughs> but anyway, it Cassie just was amazing. Gervino did a great job um, with that first goal on the assist. I mean, both cre credit where credit is due. Great job to both teams in that match. Yeah, I mean, it was a crossbar fiasco in that match. It was it was really amazing how many times Milan hit the crossbar. I counted oh, five. Crossbar fiasco. If you use the word crossbar fiasco at the checkout, you will get a free T-shirt. <laughs> so I, I think actually Milan, it, this says more about Milan than it does about Parma. I, I still don't think Parma have have a, a good enough replacement for Kulovsky. They, they, they were just, uh, I mean... I get why they sold him, but they, they have no answer for the goal scoring department this season. Um, as much as I like their coach and some of the some of the things that are going on the, over there, but uh, yeah, I mean it was it was unfortunate how many times they hit the crossbar. Um, but again, they they come in this game. They have, this is the second time this season they've been down by two goals and and found a way not to lose. Um, I I don't think they've lost this season. Um, no, they're so undefeated. Yeah, I don't know how long this lasts. This match shows some um, cracks in the armor. Um, but again, we ha I have to give credit to somebody who I've always criticized. Again, I want to I reiterate myself. I do not think Theo Hernandez is a bad defender. I just think at times he's a liability defensively, which is why I don't like him being thrown in the conversation of the best left back in Italy or Europe or whatever. Say what you want. He is not a great defender. Um, not saying he's awful, not saying he's the worst in the world or anything, but he's just not a great defender. However, I've, I've been consistent. He is a weapon attacking wise. He brought them back in the game. Thank you for, to, for, for dyeing your hair black to its natural color. I was weird looking at you with blonde hair. Um, that's, that's just a personal thing. I just, I just didn't like it. It didn't look right. Um, and then he scores the two goals. He gets them back. Um, and on the second goal, he was a little fortunate because the, the, the crossbar hit the bottom. It came out right to his foot and, and put it in the bottom corner. But uh, late drama, he was absolutely sensational. Um, again, I, I think he has a lot of work to do defensively, but he's got no problem pushing that ball forward and being an absolute animal in the attacking sense. Um, so I think he was actually um, really outstanding. Um, to, you know, last night or I thought whatever it was, um, and they they stay at top. Third win without or second one without Zlatan. I do not think this lasts. I do think they're going to start to crumble a little bit more um, when they play a good team. If they're if they're down two nil against Napoli or Inter or Roma or Atlanta or teams like that, I don't think they they're able they'll be able to climb them back. So they can't make a habit of this. But uh, for the time being, they were able to pull it off. Right. Um, is there anything else that we need to cover? Um, do you want to do the these kids don't know that, or do you want me to save for next week? Okay, let's do it. Well, your voice is sounding a little um, whatever. Yeah. Is this hang on? Is this better? Much better. Um, all right. I'll be honest. I just took some some. Uh, some stuff um, from the dude's Wikipedia page. Um, and I'm just going to read it and then you can ask me questions since, um, I mean, because since you don't know who I'm talking about, um, I just have to find uh, my, my notes. Um, we can do it. Um, so this is a segment of the show. I'm going to, it's going to be called These Kids Don't Know about a player 
uh, whether uh, recent, probably not recent, but uh, a player who in the past who's an all-time great that maybe doesn't get the recognition um, that they, they deserve. Um, the football I'm going to be talking about today is Lorthar Mathias, who was a, a defensive midfielder slash sweeper, um, uh, played for a lot of big teams, uh, won a bunch of trophies, and was one of the best defensive midfielders of all time. Um, didn't have as much success um, in the management ways, um, but he a ball and door winner, um, won with your beloved Inter Milan, um, and and so on and so forth. So I'm just going to read a little background um, story, and I'm going to read some of the, the, the you know give you some of the information about what will make the grade and um, what he won and things like that. And then um, anyway, so these kids don't know. Um, so um, let's see here. All right. Matthias was, was born in, in uh, Bavaria, Germany, which is close to, to Bayern Munich. He spent his early days in the youth team of FC. I can't, I'm going to butcher this name. Herza Gunshiaka, something, uh, a small time uh, in a small town in Bavaria, close to Nuremberg. Um, he started his professional career in 1979 with uh, your beloved Borussia Mönchengladbach of the Bundesliga, whom he played for until 1984. Then he played for Bayern Munich from 84 to 88, winning the Bundesliga twice and the German Cup. Also reached the European Cup final in 1987, leading a 1-0 leading 1-0 for, for most of the game until two late goals gave FC Porto the win. So not a lot of low moments in his career. That, that was one of them. Um, the number the number 10 jersey of, of Matthias is uh, in the Inter Milan Museum at the San Siro uh, uh, Museum. Um, and Byron teammate um, also is in there with him, is, who's also signed it. Um, helped him win the Scudetto in 1988-89 during the first season and the Italian Super Cup that well. Uh, he continued to further his success with Inter, winning the UEFA Cup in 91 and being named the World Player of the Year, uh, winning the Ballon d'Or. And he scored the final penalty in the first leg to help their victory against Roma in the uh, – in the, the, the thing, um, he returned to Bayern in Munich in 92. He won uh, four more Bundesliga titles, two more clubs. UEFA Cup reached this European Cup final um, in 99, the only major club football honor in which eluded um, him for these competitions. He um, he was in the UEFA Champions League, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, came with, within two minutes of winning the um, the trophy until Manchester United had that miracle um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, wasn't able to do that uh, uh, Champions League glory, but still an all-time great player. Um, then he played in the MLS a little bit. Um, he came out of retirement in 2018 at 57 uh, to play 50 minutes of um, a football for the, the first team he played for back in the day, um, just uh, just so he could could finish his career with the same place he started. Um, he has one. He has also won. Um, so he won the Bundesliga seven times, four German Cups, a Super Cup, a UEFA Cup, um, won a Serie A, a Super Cup, and a UEFA Cup. Um, again, won, um, never won in, in America, uh, with, but made it to a, a final um, in Germany. He won the World Cup. He won the European Championships, and he, he won something called the UEFA Cup or U.S. Cup. Uh, he also won the Ballon d'Or in 1999. He is uh, he's largely considered one of the greatest defensive midfielders um, of all time and um, is w- one of these players that ends up kind of flying under the radar. Um, he's, he, he did manage some, some European clubs also, but he was never the, the manager like he was a player.
Um, so anyway, these kids don't know. Do you have any questions or anything I can answer, or or you can just take that. It's it's up to you. Um. So, like, what was his like style of play? Um. Let's see. Let me uh, let me try to give you a comparison. Um. Very uh very defensive. Um. Again, he was he wasn't an attacking midfielder at all. He is. Uh. But he he was able to score goals. Um. Uh. It, he was a mix. He was defensive, but also attacking minded. It, it was just like he had. He was a kind of a complete player. Um, he had, uh, there were, there were years he scored practically nothing. There were years he scored, uh, six goals or less. Um, and then there's years he scored 23 goals with, with Inter Milan and, and stuff like that. He's, he scored 151 goals in his career, 204 total. But again, uh, he is not really, I, I feel like he's not really known for his, uh, uh, you know, attacking mindedness because again, play midfielder, he's a sweeper, which is a defensive role as well. So, um, yeah, but you know, it's he's just someone that uh, I feel like not a lot of people uh, know about, and they should know more about a player of his caliber. I mean, he won everything except the Champions League, and literally was a, like about a minute away from winning it. So, just unfortunate. Right. Um. Let's see. Any other questions for, about this? So, like, what was his total like appearances in general then, like across all? Uh, he made, uh, let's see, uh, 595 appearances in, in his club career, and he made 150 appearances for the German national team, scoring 23 goals. He scored uh, in the knockout stage of 94, 90, um, and 86. Um, also scored in uh, the UEFA uh, Championship in 1988 as well. Um, um, and it had, uh, the three, four goals in the world cup in 1990, um, which they, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, they came victorious. Um, so, uh, not, I mean, not like cartoonish statistics or appearances or anything like that, but I mean, he won everything except the champions. Like he won the world cup, the euros, um, the Bundesliga a bunch, um, won with Inter Milan in 1989, and uh, won the Ballon d'Or, and not that many people can say that. Right. So what? why was do you think he wasn't as successful as a manager where he flourished as a player? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Sometimes with managers that used to be players, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult than you think. And the man the, – the, the, the teams that he managed were not loaded with talent. Like, like he doesn't have the luxury of being Zidane where he had a loaded team and, and end up winning. He coached um, Rapid Wien. He coached Parazan, which is, by the way, it's the heated rivals of Red Star. He coached Hung- Hungary for two years. Um, he, he was an RB Salzburg assistant. He, um, he coached Maccabi and he coached Bulgaria. Uh, not really known for any of his management um, success, but... Um, Oh, another thing I have to mention. Apparently, I, I I forgot about this. He made uh, in three World Cups. He made the final three times, winning once, and then um, uh, well, in the World Cups that he that he he appeared in, or whatever. He he was he went to three World Cup finals. He won one, lost two, and he won the Euros. As I as I stated, um, um, yeah. Anyway, so so he's again 
these kids don't know Matthias, uh, Lord Matthias, uh, a legend. He's, I mean, he is one of your highest scoring players, but not at the top echelons, but he's still, he's still involved. <laughs> wow. Um, is there anything else that you're, we, you would like to plug or anything you need to say? Um, no, not really. Uh, we'll probably be back tomorrow with Ryan. I don't know for sure, but I, that's, I think that's the, the idea. Um, so, um, yeah, that's it. I don't have anything to say. All right. Um, this has been another episode of Calcio's Pantheon. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you on the next.